Um, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and what fills your days? Right. Good morning, everybody. Just check that my shirt's in. My wife was always concerned about being out. Look, um, I'm, I'm a retired headmaster. I was headmaster of Wellington College for about 23 years. So I retired back in uh, 2018. And since then, I guess I go under the somewhat pretentious title of being an educational consultant. Um, which means I don't do much really. So, um, but I'm on some boards and I try and help principals and schools and so on. So that's my, my uh, vocational background. In terms of me, I've been married to Roz for 47 years. Many would think that she deserves sainthood because of that. But, um, so uh, I've got three children. I've got uh, seven grandchildren. And that, I guess, fills a fair bit of gap in retirement as well. Yeah. And how long have you lived in Wellington? I've lived in Wellington for 28 years. We came down to take up the job in 1995. Cool. Can you tell us one thing you love about this city? The Basin Reserve. Um, <clears throat> no, look, I, I think I love, the, uh, I love the interaction, the stimulation of, of the people that I've met here. I've met a lot of interesting people during my time. Um, my two happy places, yes, I guess the, uh, the beach house down on the south coast. We go down there for coffees quite a bit. But uh, the Basin Reserve, where I tend to see Andrew on his day off, which I think goes from about Monday to Friday during a test match. Um, <clears throat> so uh, during summer, certainly the Basin Reserve is a, uh, is a very favoured spot for me. Our bedroom, we used to live in the grounds of Wellington College, and our bedroom used to look down over the basin. So uh, I was able to nip down there a fair bit, even during school time. So th that's me. Lucky you. Um, we would love to hear from you how you... Um first came to hear the truth about Jesus mm. and what was it about him that captured your heart mm. in the first instance? Like a number of people here I, I was raised in a Christian home. My mum and dad were both am, am I too far away? Too yep. close? Too far away. Too far away. Just indicate if you can't hear I've got a soft voice. So um, yeah um, my mum and dad were both Christian so I was raised in a Christian home and I think I was always very much aware of the truth of Jesus. Um, I guess I made a public declaration. Probably I'm the only person here because of my age who actually went forward at a Billy Graham crusade. That was when I was 14 back in 1969. So that's a long time ago. But I think I was also very involved in the Christian group. We had a strong Christian group at my school in Auckland. And then later that faith was deepened when I went to university and uh, again involved in a very strong group called EU. In those days, it used to be called the Evangelical Union. And uh, it's there where I actually met Roz. So I didn't have a dramatic conversion experience, but it certainly laid the foundation for the absolute conviction of my Christian faith, which has guided me through nearly 69 years of my life. Mm. So it's so encouraging to hear. Um, and over that time, I guess you've seen people join the mm. Christian faith and put their trust in Jesus, but also witness lots of your peers depart from it. In your, as you've observed that happening, what are some of the reasons that have caused people to leave or give up on Jesus? Yes, it is sad. I think of some of the, the people that I was involved with in the Christian Union who were in leadership who've now completely abandoned the faith, or it seems as if they have. I think that probably the parable of the sower um, speaks of two categories. One, 
where the soil fell on the very shallow ground. And I think that there are some who perhaps because of some uh, real experience perhaps came to know Christ, but that experience was not deeply rooted. And very quickly, when things started to go wrong, they abandoned the faith. That, that's the first group. Secondly, I think the thorns, which are also ref- referred to, of course, uh, in the parable of the sower. I think, folks, as you get older and you get into careers and you get into family and you're paying a mortgage and so on, I think it's very easy for the pressures of the world to suddenly start squeezing out that which is your first love. And I've seen quite a few of my friends who have quietly uh, slipped away because of that. I think perhaps a couple of other categories, I think that perhaps as a cause of that or as a result of that, Many have stopped going to church. And I've heard so often people say, look, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I worry a bit. I mean, I I respect the new prime minister, but he said that he no longer goes to church. And I think that's a danger for people. I'm not trying to be critical of, of, of Luxon, but I'm simply making the point that if you stop meeting with Christians, I think that is a real warning sign. I think some others have had a perhaps a moral lapse in their lives, perhaps they've walked out on their spouse for somebody else, and it's very, very hard to continue in a believing faith um, if you've done something which is morally wrong, unless you repent of that. And I think finally, one thing that I really learned as a headmaster over all those years, most families go through at least one major crisis in their life. It can be the death of a child, it can be the Uh, the divorce of parents, it can be the loss of a job, whatever. But I think some people have also, who are not necessarily deeply rooted in the faith, I think that has also led to, sadly, quite a number of my friends uh, dropping away and no longer really associating with the Christian family. So that's a number of reasons why they've dropped away, I think. Yeah, there's many, aren't there? Mm. Um, You've decided to remain. Absolutely. Um, why is that the case? Why, why is Jesus worthy of your following? Um, I'll give you that one first. It's a very good question. And uh, I thought a bit about that yesterday. And an old song, an old hymn came to me. Some of the, the older people here might know it. Uh, but it's based really on what Paul said to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 2. And the hymn goes like this. I know not why God's wondrous, wondrous grace to me hath been made known nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me as his own. And then Paul's words, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So I think for me, there is that deep sense that the Lord is with me. I've not always been with him. I've often wandered away, but that sense that God is with me in all situations Two or three other things that I think maybe have helped to people, though. I think it is so important to remain rooted in the Word of God, the importance of the Bible being at the centre of things. Again, I thought of this. I thought of Psalm 119 and three verses that came to me there. Psalm 119, verse 11, which says, I have stored up thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Forgive me using the, the AV, but those were the words that I, I learned. So the idea that, that God's word is with you, deeply rooted in your heart, is important. Psalm 119, verse 17, 
I, I use this every time when I open the word of God. Open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. And then finally, the well-known verse, Psalm 119, verse 108. We sing this. I think we might have sung it last week. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So I think that's one thing. It's important to remain daily in God's word. That's, that's so crucial. Secondly, I think it's important to read great Christian writers. And for me, especially at university, but subsequently too, people like C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, Dorothy Sayers, Francis Schaeffer, more recently people like Tim Keller. These are great writers who are able to explain the faith in a very rational way. So it's important that your faith is not just based on your feelings, but also on the truth. So I think it's important to keep very much uh, reading and thinking. Uh, people who are much more intelligent than you, who know the faith, and, uh, and, and that encourages me, that's encouraged me. Finally, and this is one thing that we, Roz and I, loved finding a, a Bible-based church eight years ago. Um, we've always been in church, but I think it's so crucial that you go to a church regularly. Hebrews talks about forsake not your assembling together. Again, that's an old King James version of it. But what it means is it's important to meet on a, day, on a weekly basis with people who are Christians. And it's important to go to a church, which I think here is the foundation, really, of what we do, where the scriptures are central and taught every week and where we can learn. And I think those things together, with a very supportive wife, have been reasons why my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as my saviour is stronger now at the age of 68 than it probably was 50 years ago. Praise God. We're so thankful for how God has kept, saved you and kept you. And um, it's so wonderful to have people like you in our church. Um, and so I'm going to pray for Roger and give thanks for him. And then he's going to read the Bible for us. So I'll pray that God would open our eyes to that too. So please pray with me. We give thanks and praise to you, Heavenly Father, for calling Roger out of darkness and into your wonderful light and for your Holy Spirit's um, keeping of him all these years, directing him to the truth about Jesus. Thank you for his trust in your word and the truth that it contains and for the way he encourages so many of us here to persevere and to continue meeting together. We pray, Father, for those we know who have left the faith, that you would please bring them back to come afresh to Jesus in repentance and faith, to know his goodness, his peace, the hope that he offers. Please help us to be people who um, welcome all who would come to you, just as you welcome your children into your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll leave it up. Do you want a Bible? Having talked about the importance of the word, I've left my Bible back in the pew, so I'll go and, I'll go and grab it. Page 1055, um, and Roger's going to read 1 John chapter 2. So this passage is headed up, warnings against denying the Son. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming... Even now, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, 
but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promises us, or promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Uh, thanks so much, Roger. Uh, in some ways, he's kind of, I uh, don't really need to even preach now. After hearing all the exhortations and words of Roger, he's pointing us so clearly to what this passage is going to be unpacking for us. Uh, and what an encouragement um, for us here, here this morning. Uh, but how about I pray now? Uh, my name is Paul. Uh, for those who uh, I may not have met yet, love to meet you over morning tea, after. Um, be great to keep uh, that passage open and in your handout it should have like a bit of an outline to help you know oh yeah my name's here that's as well Andrew's saying yeah that's great anyway still Paul Paul here all good uh, but how would I pray for God's help uh, as we look at uh, this part of God's word now Heavenly Father we praise you for your word we pray now uh, that you would be at work in us by your spirit to renew us, cleanse us and change us so that we would be a people who stand firm in Jesus till the day we meet him face to face. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, peer pressure can make you do strange things. Uh, this week I read about a test that some psychologists ran to gauge the effects of peer pressure on individuals. Uh, the test involved one person coming into a room uh, with nine other individuals and they were asked to look at a picture. Uh, there's a picture here up on the screen. Uh, one picture had three lines and another one next to it just with one line. Uh, the, then everyone in the room was asked to say which line from the three matches with the one. Pretty Simple, right? You can see, maybe some of you are going, yeah, it's, it's that one. Uh, but unknown to the person coming into the room, the other nine people had been told to vote for the longest line, to vote for the line that didn't match. Um, the test was set up to see how people were influenced by those around them. 
Uh, This test was done over and over again. And interestingly, 75% of the time, the person coming into the room would vote in line with the others. One of the psychologists who ran this study, he said this about the results. He said, overwhelmingly, the majority of people are willing to ignore the truth and give an incorrect answer in order to conform to the rest of the group. Peer pressure, wanting to fit in, can make you do strange things. It can make you even turn your back on what you know to be the truth. I wonder, when are you tempted to give in to peer pressure? Uh, Is it when you're sitting uh, in the classroom at university? Is it when you're in a discussion, maybe with your your work colleagues uh, at lunch? Is it when you're out with your friends and family doing something uh, social and fun? When are you tempted to just fit in, even though maybe you know it's not right? Uh, Maybe more poignantly for us, though, is for those of us here who know and trust Jesus, when are you tempted to just tone down Jesus in your life? When are you tempted to, to turn your back on the truth you know about Jesus from the Bible? If that is you, if you feel any pressure to conform to those around you and what they think about Jesus, these words from John root into people feeling that same pressure. Have a look at what he says in verse 26. John says this. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. John has written these words to help us, to help his readers not give in to peer pressure. He's writing them down to help us not be led astray from the truth we know about Jesus. To not be led astray from the eternal life that we have with him. Remember, that's John's purpose in writing this letter. He wants all those reading it to be confident in the relationship they have with God. To be sure about the truth of Jesus and the eternal life they have with him. And so he writes these words, urges us to stand firm in the truth of Jesus till the end. To not buckle under any pressure or threats to our faith. So how can we stand firm in the truth of Jesus? Well, he's going to help us, he's going to show us three things that will help us stand firm. He's going to firstly say we're to be aware of the times we live in. Secondly, we're to be reassured that we do know the truth. And then thirdly, we're to hold fast to the truth taught to us. So firstly, we're to be aware of the times we live in. Have a look there with me again from verse 18. John says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. John, like a a caring and loving father, pens these words to make us aware of the times we live in. He says, do you see his words there? He says, children, this is the last hour. We live in the last phase of God's plan of history. Since Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to heaven, we now live in the last times, the last scene or act of God's plan for history before Jesus returns. These are the times we live in. And he wants us to not be naive 
about the times we live in. He wants us to know that that there is a danger in our midst. There's a threat to our faith. And did you see what he said? What are we aware of in this last hour? We're to be alert and on guard against the Antichrist. Now, when you hear that phrase, the Antichrist, I wonder what picture immediately jumps to your mind. Uh, is it a picture of someone, you know, with blazing red eyes, with the birthmark 666? Is it an image maybe portrayed by movies like The Omen, where the boy in this movie is the Antichrist? Or maybe you have an image of a present day person or a future individual who will throw the world into chaos and turmoil. I wonder, is that the image John wants us to have in our mind when he says this phrase? It's not. When John says, uses the word antichrist, he's not describing one person at a specific time. But it's anyone that rejects Jesus as the Christ. Anyone that is anti-Christ. It's anyone that rejects Jesus as God's king. That's what Christ means. It's God's anointed king. And we see this in verse 22. John, John goes on to say, he says, Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, such a person is the Antichrist. Or in chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, John goes on to say, Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Do you see what he's saying here? Anyone who denies that Jesus is God come in the flesh. Anyone who denies that Jesus is God's king come to rule and reign. That person is the Antichrist. They are opposed to who the Bible says Jesus is. The Antichrist is anyone that denies Jesus is God. And unsurprisingly, these people have moved on from the message about Jesus from John. We see this in verse 19. Have a a look there. It says, They went out from us, but they really did not belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Do you see the repeated words here in this verse that John's saying, from us, they didn't belong to us, they would have remained with us. John's saying here, the Antichrists are not some external threat to the church, but they're people who've come from within. John's saying it's people who have gone out from us. They've physically left the church and they've left the words of John and the apostles behind. They've gone out from the message of Jesus proclaimed to them. They've departed from the words of the Bible. In Jesus' words, these people are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're people who may look charming and winsome. They may have had some contact with the church community. They may even know their way around the Bible. But they're looking to lead people away from Jesus, not to him. The Antichrist is anyone who seeks to drive a wedge between Jesus and us. They seek to drive a wedge between the word of God and us. It's anyone who leads us away from the words proclaimed in the Bible, leads us away from the very words of eternal life. Uh, This reminds me of a friend uh, who I was chatting to a few years ago. 
Um, this friend was someone at the time who said they trusted Jesus. And when I asked her how she was going, she, she hadn't been at church or Bible study for a few weeks. I caught up with her to have a coffee. Um, she told me she'd been watching these YouTube videos um, and, uh, about the Bible. She told me she'd been learning all these new things about the Bible and Jesus. Uh, you know, when I asked her about um, the teachers of these videos, uh, she said, man, they were so compelling. They'd really done their homework on the Bible. As the conversation went on, I asked a few more questions, and it ended with her telling me, oh, Paul, I've come to see that actually I, I can't trust the Bible anymore. Actually, I, I can't have my trust in Jesus anymore. I've, I am moving on from him. I remember leaving that conversation nearly in tears, completely gutted, as my friend had been led astray from the truth about Jesus. She turned her back on the message proclaimed to us in the Bible. There's a, there's a warning here John wants us all to hear today. We need to be aware of the times we live in. We need to be aware that there are many who will be trying to deceive us and lead us astray from the truth about Jesus. The spirit of the Antichrist is at work in our world today, wanting us to deny Jesus, wanting us to turn our backs on his word. Uh, and in an age of endless information, uh, information just at our fingertips, we need to be aware that not all YouTube videos not all books, not all websites, not all teachers that we Google for answers about Jesus and the Bible, not all of them will point us to the truth. Maybe two helpful questions to, to ask yourself when you're listening to something or reading something uh, could be, is this pointing me to Jesus as God's King? And maybe a second question is, is this pointing me to God's Word? as the way to know him, as the source of truth. And if it isn't, stop listening to it. Stop reading it. John says the stakes are high. Being led away from Jesus means being led away from eternal life with him. We're to be aware of the times we live in. And secondly, we're to be reassured, though, that we do know the truth. Have a read in verse 20. It says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you who know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth, and because no lie comes from the truth. John writes these verses to reassure his readers they do know the truth. You see it, he repeats it there three times, doesn't he? You know the truth, guys. And they know it because God has made the truth known to them. God has anointed them with the Holy Spirit. John goes on to say in verse 27 that it's the anointing of the Spirit which has opened their eyes to the truth. It's the Spirit of God at work in their hearts that has revealed to them and taught them the truth about Jesus. Jesus himself said this is what the Spirit of God would do. He's in John 14, Jesus says this about the Spirit. He says, The Holy Spirit, uh, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things 
and remind you of everything I've said to you. For those of us here who know and trust Jesus, God is at work in our lives by his Holy Spirit reminding us, teaching us the truth about Jesus. As we read God's work, the the Spirit is at work reassuring us that we know the truth. God has provided all we need to know him. We didn't need to go anywhere else in search of the truth about Jesus. God is with us by his spirit, by his word, guiding us in all truth. John wants to reassure his readers, wants to reassure us that we know the truth because he knows that peer pressure can make you do strange things. Peer pressure can make you question if you do know the truth. I remember a few years ago, a friend of mine was in a book club uh, with some mates of his, and they were reading The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. Uh, It's quite an older book these days, but this book tells the story of a murder in the Louvre in Paris, which leads to this uncovering of some information about Jesus. Uh, The book goes on to then tell how Jesus was just a man, that he had kids with Mary Magdalene, and that the church has been covering up this information for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, even though this book uh, is fiction, doesn't claim to be fact, all the people in my friend's book club took it as fact. They took it as the truth. I remember my friend telling me about how he had tried to talk to his friends after reading this about Jesus. But they just mocked him. They said to him, you don't really believe that Jesus is more than a man, do you? You don't really believe that he is the only way to God, do you? In an age where the the truth is up for grabs, it takes courage, doesn't it, in moments like that, to not buckle under peer pressure. It takes courage to hold to the truth about Jesus. I wonder, do you feel this pressure? the pressure to to conform to those around you in what they say about Jesus. Our world may say things like, you know, Jesus, yeah, he was an important figure in history, no doubt, but he's not the only way to God. Or, yeah, sure, Jesus said all those things about God and life, but he was just a moral teacher. Do you feel the pressure to deny the truth about Jesus? Jesus, that he is the Christ, that he is God come in the flesh? Do you feel the pressure to deny the relevance and truth of the Bible? The pressure here in Wellington is rife. There are many who subtly or proactively are trying to lead us astray from Jesus, trying to lead us astray from the eternal life that we're assured with him. So how can we stand firm in Jesus till the end? How can we stand firm in the the truth about Jesus when the world around us is so opposed to him? When there are many trying to pull us away from the truth? Well, that brings us to our third point this morning. John's going to say we're to hold fast to the truth taught to us. Have a read there from verse 24. It says, as for you, see that what you heard from the beginning remains in you. John here 
encourages his readers, encourages us to hold on to what we've been taught. We're to hold fast to the truth proclaimed to us in the Bible. We're to remain in John's message to us. Remember John's words at the start of this letter, the opening verses? He said, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John says, Remember, I am an eyewitness to Jesus. Remember, the message I've written down and passed on to you is the message I saw with my very own eyes. I saw Jesus. I ate with Jesus. I touched the resurrected Jesus. Jesus really is the Christ. John wants us to know with full assurance that Jesus is God that the message we have here in the Bible is the truth. And so John says, stick with Jesus. Stick with the words of the Bible. Stick with what you've been taught about Jesus. John says, see the message of Jesus remains in you. Don't move on from it. Departing from the words of the Bible will result in a departure from Jesus. It will result in a departure from eternal life with him. In the words of Thomas Cramner, a church reformer who, who fought for the translation of the Bible into English, he says this about remaining in God's word. He said, There is nothing so much that strengthens our faith and trust in God that keeps us, renews us, and sustains us as continual reading, recording, and remaining in God's word. Kremner knew, as John knew, when the pressure is on, that it is by holding fast to the truth taught to us in the Bible that will help us stand firm. The truth proclaimed to us by John and the apostles, that it's by holding fast to it that it will equip us, strengthen us to stand firm in Jesus till the end. Because the temptation... For us today, the temptation for those in John's day was to close their Bibles, was to move on from the message taught to them, was to be enticed into thinking there's a new and better way to experience and know God. But John says, don't be deceived. Don't be led astray that thinking some spiritual experience, some ritual or some new teaching will lead you closer to God. Rather, we're to hold on to and never depart from the truth taught to us about Jesus, that he is God, come to us, and that in him alone is eternal life. So let me ask you, how are you holding fast to the truth about Jesus? How are you letting the truth about Jesus remain in you? We had a great example of Roger before sharing how the truth has remained in him. How beautiful was it even hearing him recite verses that he's remembered, that it is remaining in him and that is abiding in him. Are you soaking in the words of the Bible each day? 
Are you seeking for them to be the loudest voice rather than the noise from the world, rather than from the the noise that is trying to lead you away from Jesus? Do you guard and treasure the times that we gather as followers of Jesus? Do you let nothing get in the way of gathering together because you know why we gather? As we gather, we help each other remain in the truth about Jesus. Eugene Peterson defines the Christian life as a long obedience in the one direction. And the direction we're to keep holding on to is the direction of Jesus. We're to remain in him. We're to persevere in what we've been taught from the beginning. And we do this together as followers of Christ. We keep pointing to each other, to Jesus, to the truth we know about him. And if you're sitting out there today and you're not yet a part of a a community group or if you don't read the Bible in your own time and you're thinking, Paul, I'll be fine. I don't need to do those things. You're not hearing God's word to you today. If all you do is come on Sundays and you miss more Sundays than you're actually here, you're not setting yourself up to go the distance with Jesus, to remain with Jesus. You're in danger of being led astray from him, being led astray from the eternal life with him. I've seen so many friends over the years drift from the truth about Jesus because they've neglected gathering with God's people. They've moved on from God's word. Don't let that be you. Remain in Jesus. Remain in his word. And as we remain in Jesus, we experience life and intimacy with God now. But we also are assured of eternal life with him forever. Let me finish by pointing us or reading verses 24 and 25. These verses show us this glorious reality now and the future hope we have. It says this, As for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he's promised us, eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, which has opened our eyes to the truth of Jesus. We thank you that it is by faith in Jesus alone that we can have confidence of eternal life with you. Help us, Father, by your word, by your spirit, as we gather together to never move on from the truth about Jesus. Help us to stand firm amidst the pressure to turn away from the words of the Bible. Help us to remain in the truth and help us together to spur each other on in following him till the day we meet him face to face. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, let me invite uh, the Musos.
up. Uh, we're going to sing a song uh, which is titled, There Is One Gospel. Uh, and I think the first line goes something like, There is one gospel in which we stand for all eternity. And it really, that's capturing what John is saying. We are to stand in the message of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, uh, as we wait for the day when we're taken to be with him. So how about we stand and declare these truths of the truth that we stand in.